we are here with Alex McCaw, the founder of Reflect.app. How's it going? Good to be here. Thank you for inviting me. This is your second time on the Indie Hackers podcast. I can't remember how long ago it was that you were on the first time. It was at least three or four years ago. Do you remember? It was at least three or four years ago. I can't even remember what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I think, let me look it up. I think you were definitely still doing Clearbit, but now you have like pivoted. You're episode number 15. I found Damn. you. Damn. You came on in 2017. Like you were one of the original uh, interviewees. Uh, we were looking up Clearbit because I was like, okay, Alex has like moved on. You started this company, Clearbit. I think you raised funding for it. It was huge. When I was in SF, like every company was using Clearbit to like look up data. Like if I wanted to find somebody's email address, I would use Clearbit. And now I looked it up and it's like this huge like enterprise-y company. Like you go to the website and it says like trying to figure out like what it does. And at the top, there's just a drop down that says like solutions. <laughs> and you know if a company says solutions at the top, like it's an enterprise company that's got like you know, a thousand customers and is making bank. And then we looked it up on some other website and it's making like tens of millions of dollars a year in revenue. I think it was like 40 something million. And you're not even doing that anymore. You're like, that's cool. I started that. Good enough. I'm on to the next thing. And now you're an indie hacker with the bootstrap business called Reflect. That's a crazy transition. Yeah, that's right. You say I pivoted. Well, I almost pivoted my life. Like, <laughs> I, you know, I was CEO of a you know, a B2B SaaS business uh, that was, you know, almost 200 people. And I wasn't doing any coding or building myself. And now I run a consumer app. There's four of us. We have just over 2,000 customers. And I am doing everything myself, design, development, etc. And it is like a complete, complete change in my life. By the way, I was going to say that. Reflect the landing page is so sick it's like highly unique it's like this dark purple futuristic looking landing page i was gonna say does alex code like like you know are you are you you know involved in this i do code every day i'm coding <laughs> um and and i i mean that was one of the criteria for this new business you know after my years of running a b2b SaaS business I, I had to code. I had to get back to coding. So it's just me and two other engineers and one growth guy. And then we actually contract in all our design. So the, um, the design you see, if you go to reflect.app, uh, that design is incredible. And I couldn't take credit for that either. I, I basically found an amazing designer. So I can take credit for finding young talent you know i think he's like 20 23 or something <laughs> but uh all i did was tell him make it dark and purple <laughs> <laughs> and he just went for went for it uh like it's it's nuts there's like 3d visualizations and you can even play tetris on that yeah, yeah i found that. that there's like a very hidden tetris game at the bottom i was like what is this like keyboard press controls to play like what is it and then i started playing tetris that thing was distracting got... Cortland as we were like prepping for this episode so reflect is like it's like you said you pivoted your whole life right you were you went from like you know high-flying silicon valley ceo with you know millions in revenue and and like now you're like indie hacker guy on a boat who Move your camera around. Who else is on this boat with you? Is this just give me a, uh, give it, me a visual? Oh display. man, it's not very tidy. This is uh, wow. This is, this is my boat. Um, oh, that's cozy. Right, like pillows. right now, now, right now, it's just like me, me, just me on on board. It's a it's a catamaran, and we're in Grenada, uh, and I just like sailing around the Grenadines. We have Starlink, which has changed my life. In fact, mm. when I heard about Starlink, is when I um, decided to get a boat and live on the boat. Do you know um, John O'Nolan, the founder of a, a blogging platform called Ghost? Because he also kind of sails around and lives on a boat. I hear his name a bit. Every now and again, people are like, oh, you're one of those boat people. I know. Hashtag boat person. There's two of you. <laughs> so what happened? Like, what, how did that happen? Like, did you just, like, wake up one day and, and just look in the mirror and be like, this is not for me? Like, Yeah. It's um, like you just snapped and became a different person. Well, pretty much, you know... Uh, I think COVID made a lot of people rethink, you know, their lives, to be honest. For me, 
it was taking like a real look at what the company needed from a leader over the, the coming years. And then also looking in the mirror and being like, is that you? Are you that person? And coming to a really difficult decision that actually it's not you. Um, and, hmm. and it's funny because our ego just gets in the way all the time of our own happiness. Uh, and there's a lot of CEOs out there who are miserable, who are just doing it because their ego is, is telling them to do it. But not only are they miserable, they're not good at it. That's the key thing. Like, I think a great CEO up to a point, but <laughs> you know, at, at, at some point it just, the job changes completely. Uh, what I am amazing at is going from zero to one uh, and building new stuff. And so honestly, what I should do in life is just concentrate on the thing that I can do almost uniquely, and then other people can focus on the scaling aspect of it. And if Reflect ever gets big enough, I will just hire another CEO to run it and do the same thing again. Jay and I were just talking about how, if I had to choose, like... I could be the CEO of like some huge corporation that's like got enterprise solutions. You know, I got a thousand customers. I'm making fifty million dollars a year, or be the CEO of like something like Andy Hackers, where like I've just been building in public the last week. I tweet about the features that I'm making. I like like release bugs and people tell me about them and make mistakes. It's scrappy. Like there's like our what's our game plan, Channing? It like lasts like the next three weeks. We know what we're gonna do. That that's it. Fuck around and if find out. I can out. do that and make ten times that, less money. That's our game plan. Yeah. <laughs> if I could do that, if I could fuck around and find out and make 10 times less money, I would choose that path. Even if I knew I would be good at being a big company CEO, just because I like the free. Wait, wait. And let, let's, just get, let's just get a sense of the numbers too here. Because Cortland, you, you saw someone that mentioned that uh, Clearbit in 2022 did like 41 million in revenue. Like on that order is the company right, but that's that not like all going to the CEO, from. right? The CEO is getting a very tiny sure. fraction of that, probably a lot of stock. But like, let's say you could be like the like the founder, like Alex. Let's say you could be the founder of a company that's making where you as CEO are, are taking home like twenty million dollars a year, something crazy, right? Or you could be an indie hacker starting like a super fun business that you really enjoy, and you're making like five mil a year. And let's say you could be good at both. Which one do you pick? Oh, definitely the latter one. Uh, I think some sometimes people have to do the former. To come to that conclusion, though, they mm. have to feel like they have yeah. done the big thing or or what what have you. Because otherwise, it's always out there. They always wonder, you know, what if I'd done that? I can tell you, You've after, done it. after doing it, that small companies are a lot more fun. Uh, so I think I fun. think they're a lot more lucrative as well. Because, you know, when I'm uh, CEO of a big company, I'm probably not being paid the, the most. De actually, definitely not being paid the most. <laughs> The head of sales is, 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 or, you know, your CFO or, you know, there's right. so many other people that are being paid more than you. In fact, the CEO's salary is typically quite low. Uh, and so you're certainly not putting in 20 million a year. Right. Whereas it, when you are running a little indie company, you, and, and to be, to be clear with you, reflects not at this point yet. But it's very conceivable that you could be pulling like 10 and then 20 and then 30K a month. And then yeah. like once you have that coming in, like I don't know how much more you need really. And it, and it feels like so much more uh, than if you just do a secondary, right? If you do a secondary, uh, you sell some of your equity, mm -hmm. you know, that's like a one and done thing. And it's like you know that that's like a pretty rare event and that you need to basically save that money and not use it. Uh, yeah. whereas if you have money coming in every month from your lifestyle business, then, then I think you feel a lot richer. And especially if you have like a lifestyle where it's not that expensive. Like I imagine living on a boat on a catamaran selling the, Car uh, the Caribbean is cheaper than living like an expensive two or three bedroom San Francisco apartment and like the peak of the tech boom. I don't know. What, like, break down the cost for me of like living on a boat. Um, well... Uh, yeah, I mean, let, let's just say there are different uh, <laughs> different types of boats. <laughs> you could do, you could do this a lot cheaper than I do. There, you got a nice one. You got a nice one. <laughs> I think you're probably about right. I I think it's probably even if you're not exactly right, it's probably fairly even. And so then the question is like, do you want to be living in downtown SF or do you want to be living 
on a boat in the Caribbean. So then you have to ask yourself that question. But, uh, <laughs> Depends I, on the you know, it's it is it is expensive, but it's, but like rent in these cities is, is nuts as well. All right, so let's talk about let's talk about what you're doing because you're working on this, this this Andy Hacker app. You've joined us. You've joined the Borg. I think you said there's you and six other people. You and five other people. So it's a very small team, and it is called Reflect. And the website says, never miss a note, idea, or connection. So you've got this cool video that's also expertly designed. And I watched this, like a 15-minute introduction to Reflect app and how to be productive and reflect. And, like, I don't know, it's hard for me to describe it because I've used, like, zero note-taking apps. I don't use Rome Research. I don't use, what's the other one you like, Channing? Obsidian? Obsidian. I don't use Reflect. There's, there's I, don't use, I don't take any notes at all. Like, I, I use Post-it notes. That's what I do. Like, I scribble shit on sheets of papers like this and throw it away once it's it gets too full so walk me through the idea of reflect like why did you build this why should anyone use it who's it for how does it work well i would say your system is better than some of i've heard uh i've heard of people like saving email drafts uh that's like a common note-taking tool but ultimately like the way that i think these days is that i don't really do much thinking up here i i push everything out into my note-taking tool. Uh, and then once it's in paper, then I can look at it objectively um, or, or once it's on the screen. So I, for me, there's like it, it really helps improve my thinking and it also it, it lessens anxiety. You know, we all kind of have this feeling when we like, you wake up in the night and you're like, there's so many, so many things to do. You know, I've got this, this long list to do. The only way of reducing that anxiety is literally getting that stuff out of your mind and into um, either paper, pen, or maybe something like Reflect. What I set out to do with Reflect was essentially build a Apple Notes Plus. Uh, you know, and I view Apple Notes as our biggest competitor. You know, Apple Notes is amazing. It just works. It's fast. It syncs. People, you never lose a note. There's actually a, a, a huge amount of engineering that's gone into that. It's quite an impressive product. Um, but there's a lot of things that are missing, as you can imagine. Like Apple have a lot of different products that, you know, Apple Notes is not getting 100% of their focus. It's never going to be as good as if someone was dedicated right. their life to making this app awesome. Um, so we are trying to do Apple Notes Plus. We have something called backlinking. Are you familiar with that? I am. I, I feel like everything, just, just to be clear, everything that you're saying, like you're basically talking to me. I'm in your like target mm -hmm. customer base. Cortland is like, Channing is the obsessive I don't know, can I, taker. Yeah, Cortland's pro. like, I don't know, can you backlink with, with Post-it notes? Like, I don't know, is that a function of a Post-it note? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's essentially, okay, if you think about, Cortland, what's the last thing you forgot? <laughs> If you think, if you think, I can't about, remember. You can't remember. But you, <laughs> well, if you think about like that, the time when you did remember something, you typically uh -huh. you just remember around the edges, right? Actually, somebody messaged me last week and said they wanted to do a call, and I was like, "Yeah, I would love to talk to this person. We haven't spoken in a long time. I should call her." Then I marked it red and archived it, and totally forgot about it. And then I remembered it today. And I just right. her before this podcast. So that's the last thing. Now, but imagine if you couldn't remember her name, you would then try and remember the company that she worked for, maybe, or how you met her, or who you have in common, or you, you kind of remember around the thing to try and get to the thing. And this is essentially how the memory works through association. And the cool thing about tools like Reflect Obsidian as well is that you can create references so one note can reference another, or even a word in a note can reference another note. And then you can essentially build up a graph of associations, and this just helps a lot with recall. You know, I, I can totally understand why you use this, the, me the method of note-taking. It's fast. It's right in front of you. It's physical. Like, it can't go wrong. You, you don't have to pay a monthly subscription for it. Um, every note set will appeal to different people. And then I was like, you know what? Let's just see if there are any other people out there that are like me, who think like me. Uh, and there were. Uh, we, you know, we launched a couple of years ago now, and we, especially in the last year, have been taking off, like growing 15% month on month. We just did uh, about 43K 
uh, revenue last month. And wow. we are like very close to being profitable, uh, which is like the goal. A huge milestone. Um, yeah. When, did you, when yeah. did you start again? So you're, you're at 43 a month. Oh, were you yeah, at a so we, we, we started maybe two and a bit years ago. Mm. Um, Notes apps are extremely complicated, surprisingly complicated. Things like the end-to-end encryption that we have in Reflect, mm-hmm. the real-time sync, offline sync and re- conflict resolution, there's like so much to it. Yeah. So the first like, year or so was building. And the thing about these consumer products is that they are just the bar is so high, um, oh, yeah. and the churn is high, and the, there's no expansion. And and if you don't have any like social elements to your product, and we we don't have any social elements, it's like this is building a business on hard mode. Um, so I like definitely think that if if you want to build a a little lifestyle business, pick P 2 B. For your insanity. (laughs) (laughs) But I can tell you that uh, B2C is fun. It it is a lot of fun. And, and, you know, one of the main differences between this company and and Clearbit was that I really gel with our customer base and I Mm. hang out with them all day and I chat with them in Discord. And that, I think, would be a big piece of advice to younger Alex, which would be pick your customers because you're going to hang out with them quite a lot. This is what I've been doing with Indie Hackers recently. And Indie Hackers is like, technically, it's a B2B company, right? Like the products that we build are for other Indie Hackers who are themselves running businesses. But they're tiny little one-person businesses or two-person businesses. So it sometimes feels like B2C because I'm just like talking to to people who are like friends. They don't have like a head of sales. (laughs) You know, there's no like giant pipeline I have to work through to like sell to people. And I also get to hang out with them all the time. Right? Like if you build in public and you're tweeting photos of what you're building and the features you're talking about and you're posting on your forum about it, other people will just jump in and give you feedback. So I'm like right there with you on the build for people that you like. Like that's almost like checklist item number one if I'm considering an idea. Like who is this for? And do I like hanging out and talking to those people? Because that's what the next three, four, ten years are gonna look like. Yeah. I it took me a long time to figure that out, sadly. Um, but the thing is, if you do that well then your product will be much better because mm-hmm. you you're going to you're going to take that feedback you're going to improve the product uh, and and I think that's one of the reasons that I managed to like hone reflect into a notes app that I love to use every day I think so I'm like I said I'm a I'm a massive note app fan like right now I'm I was like an early adopter to Notion was obsessed with it got Cortland into it even while I was using Notion, I then kind of cheated on Notion and I played around with like Rome Research and Obsidian and definitely now I'm going to like mess around with Reflect. And I find it insane because you said building some consumer apps is like playing a, a business on hard mode. And I feel like with productivity apps in particular, it's like super mega hard mode, right? It's so Because there's so many apps. There's so many, it's like, like, you know, part of Reflect is like, it's got a to-do app. And like, like you know, the, yeah. every person who is, you know, wants to be a startup founder probably has some to-do app business idea that <laughs> is sitting, sitting around that they bought a domain for. And I think ironically, one of the things that makes Reflect, like that gives it a shot is exactly what you said, which is that it's like sufficiently like opinionated and unique like it actually does kind of have a, a learning curve. And so there's certain people who will look at that and be like, that's exactly what the fuck I'm looking for, right? Like it's got a mind mm-hmm. map. It's got, like, I just look at your homepage and like there are a few things that just like turn on like a part of my brain that I know, for example, Cortland looks at it and he's like, oh, that's neat. And like, as I just keep scanning, I'm like, I have to to play around with that thing. Yeah. And Cortland's playing the Tetris at the bottom. Exactly. Did you see Sam Altman's tweet, by the way, when it comes to like hard startups? He said, ChatGPT has no social features. There's no built-in sharing. You have to sign up before you can use it. There's no inherent viral loop. I'm seriously questioning the years of advice that I gave to startups. <laughs> because he was like running Y Combinator telling startups mm-hmm. that they have to put all of those things into their company to succeed. And now he's been built a much bigger startup than any of them without doing any of that. And that's kind of what I think about when I think about what you're doing, right? Like you are not adding all that stuff and yet you're still hitting like, 40 grand a month in revenue, which is humongous, especially given how competitive this area is. And after spending a whole yeah. a whole year yeah. building, so like, you know, I presume like a, a year marketing, 
Yeah, like how did you how did you get there? How did you grow it to that that size? How do you make forty thousand dollars a month from a competitive note taking app? Yeah, well, I can tell you, I almost went broke uh, building it. You know, <laughs> step one, <laughs> I like go almost broke. <laughs> that one, yeah. I mean, I was we were bootstrapped for a long time, and um, you know, eventually, I basically ran out of money, and then we had to do a crowdfund. Um, but yeah, it was difficult. Like I, I was just every day, like coding, 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 and found some amazing engineers to work on it. Uh, we grew initially through word of mouth, um, and you know our AI features have been great as well. Uh, for like we we got a big growth spurt once we added those. But it is like it. De- it definitely feels like a very like, long game. Like it's like a very mm. slow burn because the, our organics are just increasing a little bit every month. But we don't know why. And uh, you know, we, we've obviously tried. To, That's a good we've problem to, like, to try to figure this. Yeah, well, we try to figure this out. Like it is uh, one of the first things they teach you about marketing is like have repeatable channels. You know, and. Um, and we've been trying to build these repeatable channels, but really, it's just like it is like a real product-first kind of growth strategy where we just just polish and polish and polish and just make this product amazing, and then uh, and then it seems to be working. For now, the the adage you know they will come if you build something useful seems to be working and i think we can get away with that because we're a little lifestyle business you know we only need to make like 50 60k monthly revenue to be profitable yeah right uh so like we're 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 close we don't need all these things that we have you have a large company it's like massive ad campaigns Mm -hmm. and so forth we just we just focus on the products uh and i think we're getting over this hump that you have with these bootstrap companies. It's just so difficult at the start where no one will invest in you um, and you're just like, plowing all your cash into it, especially if you're building a B2C company where you're doing that maybe for a year or so. Like this crowdfunding thing is, is fascinating. I want to talk about like, the money behind this because like you've got Clearbit where I'm sure you still own, like you own a good chunk of equity in Clearbit still, right? But they haven't like mm-hmm. sold, they haven't gone acquired, they haven't gone public. So that's just like locked up. And, like, it's you- locked up. So yeah, let's talk about crowdfunding because I don't think enough people understand crowdfunding and what has changed fundamentally. And also, I don't think people are being imaginative enough about, about investing in general. So I, I do a bunch of investing as well. I run a little fund. So I'm like familiar with the investing route. And often I'm talking to entrepreneurs and they are pitching me their companies. And I'm thinking, and I end up saying, like, why are you raising money for this? Like, you should only raise money, like VC money, if your product and your company has a chance of an IPO. Like, that is the only reason. And you should not delude yourself because once you've raised a fair amount of uh, VC capital, You've just signed away your business eventually. Eventually, the business will exit, go either go public or get sold, uh, and you will just make sure you, you won't be running it. Or certainly, you won't have full control over it. And even if you don't, like, that's the best case scenario. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the most likely scenario is you make a medium sized business that is okay. Your, your VCs keep asking for growth or your employees keep asking for growth uh, because their roommate just made a million dollars at Stripe. And they're like, you know, <laughs> what? If, you know, they're like, am I, am I like working at the right company or not? Yada, yada, yada. So then you go and raise another mega round and this and this. And this is what has happened the last few years. All these companies are underwater now. And like the, fa- the founders are basically right now working for free because they're not going to make any money out of these companies because they raised such high valuations. So my point is essentially really, really consider about raising uh, venture capital. Crowdfunding changes the game. So there's a, there's um, two really good platforms for this, uh, WeFunder and Republic. Uh, they will handle all the admin for you. 
you can go on there and you can raise from your customers and you can raise up to, I think it's 5 million a year. Um, and you can raise much less than that if you, uh, if you don't want to go through all the like, audit requirements or so forth. There's like various degrees of yep. regulation. Mm. So we just ended up raising a million dollars. And we, just, we raised from our customers. We raised it in, I think, a, a month maybe. It Whoa. was ve- very wow. straightforward. We just um, posted about it. We sent one email to our customer base. And they, I think it's just a very enthusiastic customer base. Right. And they love the app. And I think they, they, they've been yeah, using they it. The they're invested. They're like, we think this is great. We think this is going to be huge. And how often does the yeah, average well, consumer feel like they have a chance to like invest in a tech startup? Like it's not a thing. Maybe. They feel yeah. But if you, if, if you hold a gun to the head, I wonder if they were like, this reflects going to be huge. They're probably <laughs> just like, you know, I'm sick of my note-taking app going out of business. You know, I'm right. sick of changing tools. Like, uh, maybe this will be big. Maybe, maybe not. But maybe this will help it stick around. I don't. I don't know. There's a lot of different motivations, and a lot of our uh, customers or the our investors were first-time investors. Mm. So I wanted to to take them along on the journey. Yep. What I told them was, we're not going to try and make your equity like 10 times as valuable what we're going to try and do is pay you a dividend mm. so th- this changes the incentives because now the investors and the employees who receive equity are not looking for for like growth or at least the maximum amount of growth what they are looking for is a di- like a, a dividend like an annual mm. dividend from the business and it means you don't have to sell the business, okay? Right. So it is. It is. Uh, it's a little nuts. I, I haven't heard of any other tech company ever doing That's this so before. That's so fascinating. Yeah, I've never heard that. But I think we're going to pull it off. And I, it's actually very important to me that we pull it off because <laughs> I want to be a very good example. Because I think there should be this cottage industry of little mom and pop tech businesses yes. that are just like like two or three people. Where you know, like, if you use their product and you have a problem, the person you're emailing is the founder. You're going to get yeah. founder level yeah. support, and and they have agency and they buy into the product and they, and they really really care. And, and we just I think lost that for no really good reason uh, in it, with a lot of tech businesses. And we have so many companies that go out of business for no good reason. They were like they were great businesses that just happened to raise venture capital. And now they have to sell for drop to Dropbox and then get shut down. You know, it's like the the life cycle. Uh, wouldn't it be nice if we had an alternative? What's so interesting about that is that I'm invested in in Notion. Notion is my big note taking app. I have my entire life in Notion. Uh, you know, I moved all of my all of my notes and all of my docs and all of my to dos into Notion many years ago before it was big. And I specifically remember that they had like an outage one day where, you know, Notion was down for five hours and I, I lost my shit, freaked out. I can't, you know, my, my hands are tied on everything. And I specifically remember being like, I just want to pay Notion tons of money, right? I wish I could just invest money because I just love the the product so much just to so that like, shit. you know, they give me, just like make <laughs> sure it's it right. up for me. And I, and like, I, I remember that I, I felt invested in the company where I was like, I want to, you know, I want to evangelize Notion and get as many people to use it as possible because I want it to be successful because I don't want it to shut down. And it's like a similar exactly. alignment of, of incentives in the way that you say. And what makes me, but the immediate place that my mind goes towards is like, okay, that crowdfunding model might work, but it specifically needs to be for these kinds of products where like, people are massively invested. For example, if like my Kindle app sort of shut down and I like, I use Kindle to read, I'll just be like, whatever, I'll just go to, you know, Google books or like Apple books, right? It's, it's totally, you know, it's a total commodity, a commodity, Mm -hmm. nothing specific to any individual app, but like yours, a realm research and notion, like that model really does seem like it could work. Yes, I would. That's fair. That's a great point. And I I think, um, the model lends itself to consumer businesses from from that regard, um, but also, quite frankly, you're much more likely to see a, like a good return from a B two B company. So I think like if people who are more interested in the actual returns aspect of investing um, might be more interested in investing in B two Bs, and people who are more passionate about the tools they use every day might be more invested in in B two Cs. 
If you go on WeFund and Republic, you'll see all sorts of different companies raising. Not 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 just B two C companies. It's 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 all over the shop. The only other indie company that I can recall that has been like you know dabbled in crowdfunding is Gumroad by Sahil. Mm. Have you met Have you met Sahil, Alex? Yeah, I have. Yeah, so they raised it. I think a hundred mil valuation. Yeah, and then I think he raised like ten million dollars. He raised like whatever like the max limit was, maybe five million or something, and they did not have the sort of dividend promise. It wasn't like, okay, we're going to pay you a dividend. It was just like, yeah, be a part of this big thing. And then I think he sort of stopped going for like that crazy unicorn, huge valuation sort of exit, right? And so people were investing thinking, oh, I'm going to make like, you know, 10x, 20x on this investment if, if, if Gumroad does well. And he's just like, ah, thanks for the money. Like, we're not going to do that. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder like, yeah. Because this is something that I, I want to explore with indie hackers. I think it would be awesome if we had like this whole industry of like two and three person companies who could raise money from their customers. I mean, you had like a few hundred customers invest, you know, at a million dollar valuation. That's like a few thousand dollars each. You know, it's not that much money. But like, can that community, can that like phenomenon flourish and bloom if there isn't a lot of trust, right? If investors are getting ripped off, if they don't know what they're going to get in return. If you as the person raising money aren't necessarily held to any sort of like rule saying that you have to pay a dividend, et cetera, et cetera. Like how does it work and how do you see that playing out? There's a huge amount of, of trust. And that is, I think, how the system has worked up to this point regardless. You know, that is if, if you go out and raise an angel and then a VC round, you know, the investors are going to do due diligence on the founder. And it's going to be, the, the, the certainly early stage, it's going to be like, do we trust this guy or not? Do, do his references check out? Um, it's a reputation game. So I, I, I mean, I think we can probably lend on the same thing, on the same dynamics as well for crowdfunding. You'll probably need some kind of lead investor who's doing a lot of the due diligence. I, I think that that helps as well. Some some other person who's trusted, uh, and then you can kind of trust the entrepreneur by proxy of that person being involved. Um, for example, Gumroad specifically, I was, uh, confused at why they raised, uh, that valuation. Um, uh, because that really means that you are going to try and sell the business and make that money liquid, or at least, I mean, IPO the business. Uh, I would, if I was in his shoes, I would, uh, just offer to buy the investors out at a certain amount every year, just to yep. offer some liquidity. Yeah. And maybe that's an alternative model. Mm -hmm. But I, but I do think dividends kind of gets you around all of that. Yeah. You know, it, it changes right. the incentives completely. Uh, and I want, like, I'm, I'm. This is an experiment, <laughs> and if we pull it off, like our investors, I think, are, should we pay their first dividend? If not this year, next year, we still have uh, like 800k out of the millionaire raised, right? Right. So, you know, the first dividend check to them might be half their money back. And do you know, by the way, how many of those customers you raised that million from? Like how many individual people? I know on just WeFunder, there was 317 investors. And I think you raised money from some other places too. Mm. Yes. So um, we raised a uh, majority on WeFunder and then we raised a separate uh, check on AngelList. Um, you know, some of my friends were like, Alex... I, you gotta let me invest because they invested in my last business that went well for them. Uh, so you know we took maybe like maximum like fifty k checks, mm. um, but the, but those there were only a couple of those, and the rest were all like a thousand dollar checks from uh, individual customers. Uh, but what we told our customers is that um, they're getting payback. Or sorry, what we told our investors is that they're getting payback first. Right? right, so they're going to get mm. their um, principal back, and uh, so I want to caveat all of this. But it looks like we will get, be able to pay back our investors really quickly their principal, and then from then on they get a percentage of uh, the the profits of the business. Right. Yeah. So, like, imagine being like a user of an app, and like you love this app, and it gets better every month, every week. And then also that app just starts sending you, <laughs> starts sending you money, <laughs> sending you checks in the mail. Like that sounds amazing. <laughs> that is that does sound amazing. So let's say you're like a founder listening to this, and you want 
you want to do what they hear you doing, right? Like, what's the playbook for a founder that wants to go the crowdfunding route? They sign up for WeFunder, step one. How do they ensure that they get a million dollars raised? Because that's not easy to do. Look, it's if you don't have a brand mm-hmm. or you aren't like good at making products, then maybe think again. This is not like some free money out sitting out there. <laughs> like you should already have a product by the and customers by the time you're raising. Like in this day and age, I don't think there are any excuses unless you're like, you know, doing some nuclear fusion. If you know, if you're just building a notes app or a B two B SaaS company. Build the product first. Do contracting on the web on the side if you have to to pay for that. But like, build your product, get customers. Once you're at a few hundred customers, then start thinking about whether you should go this route. Like, we actually polled our customers to see if they were interested or not prior to the crowdfund. And that's another thing that's free to do as well. We had a conversation recently with uh, Rob Walling. He's the founder of MicroConf. You know, a bunch of indie hackers go and, and have these community meetings, and and he's dealing. He 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 has a fund, uh, Tiny Seed, and so we brought up this idea accelerator of doing, for bootstrappers. Right, right, and like when we ran the idea by him that like, hey, maybe we should do crowdfunding for indie hackers to be able to invest in each other's uh, products, like on the, on our product directory. He almost immediately poo-pooed that idea, and he's like, "Hey, listen, you don't want to deal with the legalities, you know, dealing with equity, et cetera, et cetera. It's like the structures get really difficult, especially with indie hackers who have such low revenue." And he's like, "But maybe if you think about crowdfunding, where it's all about like think Kickstarter, it's all about like non-equity based perks, it you could get off the ground. Maybe you'd have a lot of indie hackers who are like willing to invest in each other's products for like you know I don't know a, th- a free month or like a, f- a few extra features or maybe extra access to the founder. Who knows, right? It's you just could like be- how do you guarantee it? Right? It's like Kickstarter, right? It's like ah, you can't really guarantee it. <laughs> People like might just not yeah. lose their product. They might like what they what they w- were promised to get. Again, yeah, that's right. You can't guarantee it, and you're relying on the reputation of the person. Um, it sounds like uh, this guy doesn't want any more competition. <laughs> <laughs> that could well be. No, no, no. no. Look, uh, look the other direction. You know, um, like I can. That's definitely a good point on his behalf that you 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 don't want to deal with the legality, but you don't have to. You could use a platform like uh, we fund a republic. Mm-hmm. The really key thing that you guys have is distribution and trust and a brand. Uh, you can just kind of organize it at a high level and then people go and invest on these Azure platforms that already exist. Then you, then you wouldn't have to do any real, any work around, you know, the legality of it. Uh, you could just use the existing mm. structure. Ideas, ideas. So one of the things I like to do on the show is we get on Andy Hackers like you, you have a cool business. Um, we talk about that for a bit, but also like whenever somebody's a writer, I want to talk about what you've written. Because excellent writing, I think, is excellent thinking, and it makes for a good conversation. So you've got your blog. It's blog.alexmacaw.com. Or you can just go to alexmacaw.com and see like a list. It's very Paul Graham-esque, just like a very flat list of all the topics you've written. It's super simple. I love it. And your latest one is called The Illusion of Free Will, which I take to mean <laughs> that you don't believe in a free will. <laughs> but give me the rundown. Like, why do you have a blog? Why do you write? How do you balance this as like as a founder, like writing and, and blogging, and then give me your take on free will? Wow. Yes, I think like one of those things is not like the others. It's yeah. Just like... <laughs> True. And then you know, give me your philosophy on life, the universe, and everything. Okay, so I've always loved writing. I think of it as brain programming. Uh, essentially, <laughs> it, I think if you are a very good writer, you can have an impact on the world such that you could never have in any other profession without having, without having like a massive team. Like Elon Musk can have a huge impact because he's got a big team. Uh, if he just had like one person working for him, you know, he wouldn't have that impact. Writers, on the other hand, okay, they, they can really change the world ju- just by like putting their thoughts, thoughts down. Uh, so the, it, it, it always fascinated me, and it's one of the reasons that I started a, a note-taking company. Uh, up to this point... I have been writing non-fiction, like extremely boring books, 
My brother says he uses to get himself to sleep at night. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes uses as a doorstop. That's what I, I tell Channing about his books. <laughs> and I, I've written a, a few books on programming for O'Reilly um, back in the day. And then I wrote um, a couple of books on management and building companies. Um, I co-wrote a book called The Great CEO Within. Uh, that's, I think, a fantastic book on, on building startups. And uh, another one called The Manager's Handbook, which is a free online book about managing in companies. So for me, it's like I set out to write a book and then I learn along the way. I, yeah. I don't write about subjects totally. that I know about completely. I, I use that, the writing of the book as like a, a mechanism for learning about it. Um, but having said that, my ultimate dream is to write science fiction. Ooh. And uh, I just think writing fiction in general is just so much harder than writing, uh, you know, nonfiction. Uh, you know, when you're writing a book of programming, you know exactly what to put in the book. You just you know, kind of put up the features of the programming language. But if you're writing a, uh, a fiction book, it can be whatever you, 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 you dream of. It can go in any direction, right? So that is a one of, one of uh, my heroes. Actually, is a guy called Hugh Howey, uh, yeah. and he writes science fiction, yeah. and he lives on a boat. And ah, <laughs> uh, uh, we, and we, we figured it out. Full circle. Yeah. Full circle. Yeah, that's right. And then he actually uh, was the inspiration for for me getting this boat. Um, all right. So let's uh, should we talk about free will? Wait, hold on. Before <laughs> before we jump into free will, I want to ask you a yeah. few more questions about your boat life because, like, the more you talk about it, okay. the more I just see you chilling out here with like this a beautiful background. You sort of got this cool ebb and flow where you're just bobbing up and down slowly. It just it mm -hmm. looks nice. Mm -hmm. What is it like to live on a boat? Right. Like like the downsides for me, if I'm thinking about, it, I'm like, it seems like it could be lonely. You're traveling a lot, you know, there's not a lot of people around, but all you know, the upside, like there's a lot of adventure. You're going from one place to the next, you know, from island to island. Yeah. Um, it could be scary, you know, like you might be out at sea during a storm. Like, I don't know, I don't know how this works. You know, like give me like a good snapshot of your boat life before you give me a snapshot of why we don't have free will. So essentially I solve the loneliness problem by having friends come through. Mm. And so every other week I have a different set of friends coming through. Um, and, and otherwise, you're right. It would get very lonely. Um, the, what, what is it like? Well, it's kind of the closest thing to living on like a spaceship and space travel <laughs> that we have right now. You know, I, if I, if you think about it, I have my life support system here. Mm. On ab above me are a set of solar panels that give me all the electricity that I need. Um, I have a water maker, a desalinator that turns seawater into fresh water um, that I can drink. And uh, and then I have, you know, storage, fridges, freezers, what have you. And then my actual mode of transportation is the wind. So I <laughs> barely use the engines and I just like put up a sail and it's, and it's kind of crazy, but I can go wherever it's blue on the map. You know, I sometimes I look at the globe right. and I'm like, you know, all those blue bits are mine, you know, and they... <laughs> No one can stop you. You can put an anchor anywhere in the world, uh, and it's like the the freedom there is just is incredible. Um, it's, of course, it is. It, it's got its downsides. Like it's, there's some major major downsides. Just uh, like the amount of overhead, the money, yeah. um, the the time you spend. You know, like right now I'm in a marina, but let's just say we were doing this podcast and I was at anchor. And the anchor started slipping. Mm -hmm. I have to end the podcast and go and <laughs> make sure my house didn't float away. You know, so, uh, so there's like you know there's, there's there's pros and cons. But at this stage of my life, I absolutely love it. You know, there's a sailing season. I don't know if you guys know this, but no. there's there's a hurricanes come through the Caribbean from July to November. Yeah. So you can't you can either some sailors just go and try and dodge them. Uh, I, I, <laughs> my insurance doesn't let me do that. So <laughs> you're, I mean, you're like right in the Bermuda Triangle. Like this is where people disappear during hurricane season. Certainly, certainly, every now and again, a hurricane comes through and just <laughs> devastates some of these islands. Uh, you know, right now I'm in Grenada, which doesn't typically get hit, but uh, yeah, Northern Caribbean is kind of no go zone for much of the year. Did you have like a like a starter version of this? Did you have a friend who had a boat and you got to like sample it, or was this just a 
you are a land lover and then one day you snap your fingers pound the table and, and like you just are on a boat trying to figure everything yeah, like how out does this, from ground how does this zero happen? yeah um so i grew up sailing my dad had a boat mm. and uh, a lot a lot of sailors that, that's the story you'll hear uh so i really kind of caught the bug early on and uh you know like 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 i mentioned when i was uh, working at clearbit i heard about starlink and and i was like wow mm, this is really interesting starlink actually changes a lot of things because mm -hmm. now now we can work forever you know and then i was like well how do i want to change my life based on this information and and I, you know, commissioned a boat at a <laughs> midlife crisis. <laughs> um, but uh, how old are yeah, you, by the way? Do you, you seem like you're like in your late twenties. Uh, I'm 33. Yeah, oh, okay. I've, I've got a baby face. Um, 33 years young. Uh, you're yeah. you're in your prime. <laughs> I think that's like a Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley sort of trope. Like you hit your midlife crisis mm -hmm. at about age 30. Same thing happened to me. Well, you know, I just think more people should. Yes, think outside the box a bit. You know, we know we don't have to be tethered to, you know, our apartments. We, we you you can be based from anywhere these days. And certainly, I recommend living on a boat. All right, we got five <laughs> minutes left. Now we're getting to the good stuff. Why is there why is there no free will? Give us your your take. Well, five minutes is definitely not long enough I think it's, to talk about I think this. It's enough to get all the ins <laughs> and the outs. But like, the, yeah, like I don't think. This is like a subject that people like talking about, no. especially people who um, are maybe more scientifically minded, mm -hmm. uh, like talking about just because uh, it, it is kind of the unfortunate that we have not found any like space for free will in like, for example, like the standard model or classics physics, like there actually is no space for it. So if you talk to a physicist and you ask them if there's any free will, they will probably tell you that there's none. Like that is the scientific consensus right now. Uh, it's just not really talked about because it's kind of an unsettling thought. I have found that once you embrace it, it is actually very freeing. I, and I found like there's also some other benefits, like having empathy for other people mm -hmm. and their situations. And I think we would, I mean, the, the purpose of that post was to try and like, ultimately it would be lovely at a, if a government level, like a policy level, mm -hmm. we admitted that there was no free will. And then we, uh, they would actually change how you would do uh, justice and prison reform. Uh, it, would, it would put a big focus on rehabilitation because you wouldn't be trying to get revenge. You wouldn't be trying to... Right. Uh, like just punish people who who were bad morally bad because the, it kind of removes the morality from the equation in in in, in a lot of senses um but uh there i think there are a lot of benefits to it if you can get over that hump i don't think a lot of people will get over that hump because it just seems um the idea just seems nuts like it's like it's such a core part of our day-to-day -day experience that it almost seems like a repugnant idea that, that, that we don't have any free it's will. It's easy I'm, for people to get offended by stuff like this. So I think neither Channing nor I will, because we're probably on the same page as you. Channing, I think you are too. Not only am I on the same page, uh, literally one week ago today, I pre-ordered a book that's coming out called Determined by this guy, Robert Sapolsky. He's like he's written a book called Behave on, on Human Behavior. He's one of the most preeminent biologists and like endocrinologists in the world right now. Uh, and all of his books and studies are about like the things that make us tick. And at a certain point, the through line there is like, when you explain even what we know, you quickly squeeze out the idea that, you know, sort of there's like a magical goo inside of us or that we're, you know, these, these biological skin bags filled with magic. Um, and so that book is coming out and I'm a, I'm a huge nerd of, of that stuff. And it's particularly, it's not merely just, you know, abstract college dorm room talk, right? It, like it has a lot of implications for legalities. Like one of the things that Robert Spolsky likes talking about is like, yeah, like prison reform should be thought about differently. Like criminal justice should be thought about differently. Um, it, it really like changes almost everything about some of our core institutions. And how you behave just as a person. Like, I like that you mentioned empathy, Alex, because I also like I'm not, I'm, uh, 
real believer in free will. I kind of think like there's this moment you're born, you know, like your biology is set, your environment is set, you have no choice in any of that. And the rest of it might as well just be dominoes, right? You unfold. And as you put it in your blog, like given the exact same state of the universe, like you're going to make the same decision every time because like that's just the set of experiences you've had up to that point in your life. And like you can't really change it. You know, an idea bubbles into your head and you decide I'm going to eat a, you know, pepperoni pizza. And like you could never have chosen otherwise. And I think whether or not there's any way to prove that or it's true or not, and a lot of people will be unconvinced, even though I'm convinced, I think it gives me a lot more empathy for other people. Because I understand, like, okay, well, like, everybody's got a story. Everybody has a set of things that happen to them and things that are that make them who they are. And if I was that person, I would do the exact same thing that they're doing, right? Like, I wouldn't have a choice. I would essentially be forced to do that exact thing that they're doing. And I am only me because of who I was before, you know, in the moment before this and who I was the moment before that, all the way back down to the very beginning of my being, right? Never had any choice at any point along that process. And I think that that doesn't mean everybody gets off the hook. It doesn't mean you don't want to punish, you know, or imprison somebody who's you know, violent or dangerous. It doesn't mean any of these things. It just means for me, like I can have a little bit more empathy and I can try to understand a little bit more of where somebody's coming from if they're doing something that's hard for me to accept or understand. And there's nothing wrong with yeah. having more empathy. That's right. And a bit of more humbleness as well. Exactly. Because your yeah. success exactly. in life as well. <laughs> exactly. Like, it's predetermined. <laughs> yeah, your, your, your faults and your credits both become a yeah. lot more muted, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, thanks for so. indulging this random line of questioning at the end of a, uh, an excellent conversation. Of course. I am a little bit envious of your boat life. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if I end up getting a boat anytime soon. But I'm I'm taking the opposite approach and investing a ton into my apartment and trying to make it this very cool place. Um, thing I always ask founders at the end of these episodes is for you to give Andy hackers who are listening one piece of advice, one observation, one recommendation. It could be anything. It doesn't have to be the most important thing that you've taken away from your journey, but just something that you don't think they would have heard from other people or something that's important to you, what should they take away? I think this the the book, The Great CEO Within, is mostly written by my CEO coach, Matt Mashari. Uh-huh. He's coached almost all the, the top founders in Silicon Valley at this point. It's such an amazing book. So I guess my, my meta advice is go and read that book because it contains... All the actual practical advice that you need to run a business. Damn, we'll, we'll have to talk about CEO coaching next time. But uh, yeah, uh, meanwhile, Maybe we'll have him on the podcast, Channing, because he sounds like a fascinating guy. Yeah, that sounds that sounds sick. Alex, thanks a ton for coming on. I appreciate it. You are uh, your second of, of ten episodes on the Andy Hackers podcast. So eight more to go. <laughs> <laughs> It'll happen. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. Cheers, guys.